Okay, Shay, remind me never to follow you ever again. <laughs> this, like, we should all just sing one more song, close with prayer, and go. <laughs> Frank would be really happy. That was awesome. It's like those things are just made for Easter. That's good stuff. Well, gosh, I'm never following her again. But I'm going to do my best. So as I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, one of the most important things uh, that marriage has taught me, and we'll see if people that are married will agree with me, I guarantee you will, uh, that the phrase, I told you so, needs to be permanently eradicated from my vocabulary. I cannot think of one single, I told you so, that generated a positive response. Now, Mahatma Gandhi once said that freedom is not worth having if it does not include the freedom to make mistakes. And so no matter who we are, no matter what we do, the one thing we certainly all have in common is that we've all made plenty of mistakes. And we've all, uh, at one time or another, we've heard somebody give us good advice. And for whatever reason, we decided to not take it. The only thing worse than the mistake itself is being reminded of it by some smarty pants who says, I told you so. I read this fun article on the best ways to respond to the dreaded I told you so statement. All right, so here's going to be a big part for you. There's going to be, let's put those up. Okay, so here they are. There's four right here. So we're going to see if one of these four fits you, all right? Um, The genuine response, thank you so much for trying to warn me. (laughs) To the direct response, which is, I don't appreciate you saying that and rubbing salt in the wounds or deflecting. I think that research shows that saying I told you so is a conversation stopper. Or, I'm already going to say the snarky is for sure me. Um, Oh, you're so smart. Like, where would I be without you to impart your perfect wisdom on me? Okay, so now, informal poll. Where are we at? Where's the genuine responders? Anybody? (laughs) All right, good. This makes me happy. I'm not the only one. Uh, Any direct responders? Okay, one. Okay, deflecting types. Couple deflectors in snarky response. (laughs) Okay, good. Very good. Now, I was reading through this article, and and the author uh, worked through these four typical responses, and then she was working her way up to her foolproof two-word response that she says will work in almost every single relationship in almost every single situation. The appropriate two-word response to I told you so is so simple, is you did. You're right. Frank, she says that when you acknowledge the truth of the matter and then you just move on, it's a simple, non-defensive statement of fact. Okay, And so as we hear today's scripture... Listen for the I told you so moment in the story and then ask yourself the question, how did the women who heard the I told you so, how did they respond? When God's messenger tells them that Jesus was not to be found among the dead, but rather among the living, what did they do? Did they take one of these four responses? Did they, did they make the appropriate response? Uh, before we take a closer look, let's just pray and invite God to speak. O risen Christ, meet us here and open us to the power of your resurrection. As we hear it proclaimed anew this day, and may we 
uh, participate with you in the renewal of all things. Amen. Here it is. Listen for the moment and see how they responded. Luke chapter 24, 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you so while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Easter Sunday is preceded by what we call Holy Week. It's this tragic week for Jesus, which was full of these unfulfilled expectations, seemingly unanswered questions. It was filled with anxiety and denial, betrayal, uh, false charges, guilty verdicts, angry shouts of crucify him from the same people, by the way, that for folks that were with us or reflected on Palm Sunday... The same people that are shouting Hosanna and welcoming Jesus into the city of Jerusalem a week later are the ones, the very same people that are yelling crucify him. The week was filled with beatings, crown of thorns, mocking, jeering, this agonizing journey to Golgotha and finished with public execution. This is Holy Week. This is the week we call Holy Week. But something unexpected and something new was right around the corner for Jesus. Anybody like the show The Middle in here? Anybody watch that show? All right, a couple. In my, this is my favorite scene. It fits perfectly for Easter. <clears throat> In my favorite scene from the, the middle, Sue Heck is having a bad day. If you know the middle, Sue Heck is always having a bad day. She's this super socially awkward, dorky teenager. She fails at virtually everything she's ever tried. Uh, but somehow, this teenager always has a smile on her face, Uh, She always figures out how to remain uh, positive and have this positive outlook on life. But to most people, she's just invisible. People rarely ever notice her, and everybody forgets her name, if you remember the show. There's this character, Reverend Tim Tom, for people who watch this show, this traveling youth minister who goes around with a guitar, like constantly singing the lamest songs you've ever heard in your life. Like, when I first saw this character, because my kids like the show, so when I first saw this character, he made me cringe. Like, he is the reason that people poke fun of us pastor types. But here's the thing about Reverend Tim Tom. He actually really cares about her. And so she confides in Reverend Tim Tom that she's having a really hard time. This is so sad. Are you ready for it? Because nobody has asked her to the big Halloween dance. All right? Oh, it's so sad. Um, And... This is his reply, and it's intended to cheer her up. This is what he said to her. He says, so, you're in a rough patch? You know who else hit a rough patch? 
Jesus, he was dead. <laughs> but then three days later, he was back on his feet, rocking it resurrection style. <laughs> and then he finishes and he says, my point, Sue, is you never know what's right around the corner. Good advice. Super lame, but good advice. You never know what's right around the corner. And so hastily, Jesus is placed in his tomb. The large stone that marked his grave is rolled into place. And this is the moment and the place when the disciples' expectations, where their dreams died with Jesus. First thing in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women go to the tomb with their spices. Their job is to give Jesus a proper burial according to Jewish custom. They fully expected to find Jesus' body still in the tomb. We know they had not gone to the tomb believing in resurrection. They were absolutely certain of one thing. They knew that Jesus would be right where they laid him three days ago. But the stone at the tomb's entrance is rolled away. They look in, and Jesus wasn't there. And their surprise at the empty tomb shows us that resurrection was not what they expected. One of the fascinating things about the story is that the empty tomb wasn't the thing that changed their mind. The empty tomb actually brought confusion, not clarity. Clarity comes later. And so they're completely at a loss to explain what's happened when these two, I love it, two messengers in dazzling clothes show up. This is all I got, white. This is the best I could do. Um, And they're terrified. Of course they're terrified. I always wanted to know why were there two? Has anyone ever thought of that before? Why are there two messengers and not just one? Um, And then our Old Testament book of Deuteronomy gives us a clue as to why uh, Luke says that there are two. And the book of Deuteronomy says that only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be sustained. And so Luke is a historian. He's seeming to validate Jesus' resurrection by these two angelic eyewitnesses. And so the messengers begin with this mild rebuke. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. And so in this word risen, these contradictions collide, life coming from death. It's what Bible scholars call the paschal mystery, that death is real, but that it's not necessarily final. And so the women, they're perplexed, they're terrified, but they seem to have this vague recollection that they've heard this word risen before. And then the moment that we've kind of been waiting for here, the I told you so moment, the moment that would change everything, the messenger says to these women, remember how Jesus told you that he would be crucified and then on the third day he would be raised. So we have to say, how did these women respond to the message of resurrection, to this I told you so moment? Did they uh, choose the genuine response? Oh, thank you so much for this reminder. That was really helpful. Um, Did they go with the direct response? Like, I don't appreciate this nonsense while we're grieving the loss of our teacher and friend. Did they deflect? I think research shows that dead people don't rise. Um, Or were they snarky? Like, thank you for sharing your heavenly wisdom with us and giving us this false sense of hope. But... Like, they don't choose any of those four things. They choose what the author of the article that I read called the more appropriate response. They're like, oh, yeah, you are right. Jesus did tell us that before. And they say, we remember it now. They acknowledge it, and they ran to tell the disciples what they've seen and heard. 
And so the Easter message, it begins its work by challenging our certainties and our assumptions. I love that the Gospel of Luke has more women on the scene than any of the other Gospels. There's at least five women present, and there's probably more. When you trace these women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Joanna, and then there's the unnamed. When you trace them back in Scripture, you find some really interesting things. They've been with Jesus since the very beginning. They have been tending to Jesus and to the disciples for three years, traveling with him. They've been with Jesus the whole time. Maybe even more interesting is they were at the foot of the cross. When the male disciples were off doing who knows what, these women stayed faithful. They were at the foot of the cross, and now they're at Jesus' grave with the burial spices for his entombment. And hearing these messengers, they remember Jesus' words that he would die and on the third day that he would rise. And their certainties, the things that they were absolutely sure of, begin to unravel. The thick-headed male disciples, maybe with the exception of Peter, we'll give Peter a little bit of credit, they respond out of their certainties too, right? They call the message of resurrection an idle tale. So now I learned something. Studying this this time, I hadn't seen this before. The Greek word that's poorly translated as idle tale, it's much better. It means garbage. That's what the word literally means. It means garbage. The disciples hear this message of resurrection and they say, that is garbage. Garbage is only good for one thing. Garbage is only good to be tossed aside, to be thrown out or burned or whatever. That's what they experience. Those are their certainties. Those are the assumptions that they're they're absolutely certain of those things. But something at least stirred in Peter. He gets up, he runs to the tomb because he needs to have a look for himself. Peter had learned the hard way, if we remember Peter. He learned the hard way to trust Jesus. He learned that the things that Jesus said came to pass. And so he, like the women who went before him, he sits and he marvels in wonder at the empty tomb. The Easter message had begun to challenge his certainties as well. He's probably thinking something like maybe, just maybe, this word risen isn't garbage after all. I just want to finish with a couple of my own thoughts on the Easter message. And the first is that the, the cross, and it's funny, I have a really good friend, and I met with him on Friday. We were in a little small group, and we had our message, and he's like, Rob, why is Good Friday called good? Like, has anyone ever thought about that? Um, what's so good about Good Friday? And what Luke is trying to say is that this, the cross is this display of imperial arrogance, but that God uses this cross to communicate the good news of salvation and new life can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. And that's why it's called good. Ultimately, good news comes out of it. So as I thought about it, I'm like, you know, Roman execution of justice back in the first century, they had, been, they had trod on the powerless for a very long time. Jesus was not the first innocent nor the last to suffer under these terrorist tactics of Rome. And so the cross is this tragedy for sure. But to Luke, it was a tragedy that's the necessary prologue to the good news about new life. And so Rome had made its assumptions too. It administered justice according to the things that it was absolutely certain of. They were absolutely positive that snuffing Jesus out would be the end of him and be the end of his little band of ragtag followers. They're obviously wrong about that or we wouldn't be gathered 
here today. And so we know that it wasn't the end at all. Those were their certainties. This would be the end of this group of people. It's not the end at all, but rather just the beginning. And so the Easter message can also break through our certainties. It can also rewrite some of our basic assumptions when we follow in the footsteps of these faithful women. We've heard the word risen. What if the message were true? What if death is real but not final? What if Jesus is not merely past but present? What if risen isn't garbage after all but life? Believing in resurrection isn't easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus' disciples. We're going to see the next couple weeks. For those of you that are with us, remember Thomas? I'm not believing until I put my finger in your hands and my hands in your side. This wasn't easy for the disciples either. Faith is never easy. And believing the unbelievable takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith. But resurrection, says the scripture, is the door to new life that begins now and stretches into eternity. Easter is also the vindication of all that Jesus did and taught. And so with Easter begins this new creation that every day is new creation. Every day is an opportunity to participate with God in this new life, bringing hope where there's despair, welcoming the circle of inclusion to welcome in all kinds of people, to act on behalf of the disenfranchised, to lift up the poor, to heal the broken, to work for the reconciliation of all things. These are the legacies, so just a few of the legacies that Jesus has actually left to us, his church. And so faith is not just believing, it's the courage to live the way of Jesus in the world. It's more than a response on a survey. Faith is the response of our lives. When the resurrection begins its work of changing our certainties and our basic assumptions as well. And it does this work in us when we remember Jesus' words, when we get up and we run to go and take a closer look for ourselves. It does this work when we courageously live out this new life that we're given. And so when contradictions collide, we have to decide, is this message of risen, is it garbage or is it new life? I want to finish with a moment uh, that I had this week while watching the news. And I'm not sure if anyone saw this, but I heard this, I was really moved by an interview that I saw with Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Anybody see this? It's on the, uh, the fires that burned down Our Lady of Notre Dame in, uh, in Paris. And I was watching the news and listening to this cardinal speak. Um, A church, by the way, did you know that it's, I think there are 13 million visitors to this church per year, twice as many as the Eiffel Tower. Does that put in perspective the importance of this place? In post-Christendom France, this tragedy, it brought a whole country and large parts of the world to its knees with a deep sense of sadness and grief. It's this place where people have like, they feel connected, they feel at home, they sense in that place this touch of the divine. And Cardinal Dolan, when he was being interviewed, he said that hardwired in the human being is this sense of resiliency, a sense of hope and resurrection. He said this, and I was like, I was was cooking, and I heard that, and I'm like, Kate, can you turn that up? And Katie turned it up really loud, and I started paying attention and listening to what he was saying. And he said that this is, uh, this is resurrection. This is what we celebrate at Easter. 
And then he said, sometimes the more dismal the situation, the more hopeful we become. Now he's really got my attention. We look at something that we love that's reduced to ashes, and we start to see new life coming from death. And then he spoke about the inspiration that he's received, the hope that he's received from the people of France who are coming together to actually already moving forward to rebuild that which is lost. Cardinal Dolan reminds us that the tragedy of Notre Dame shows us, he said these words, he said, this shows us the Paschal mystery and reality, the mystery of life emerging from death that mirrors the dying and the rising of Jesus. Some pretty powerful stuff. I went back and re-watched that interview because I was just blown away by it. And he's saying there's a spark of hope in France to rebuild. And he was like talking to his interviewer and he says, that's Easter. This is what we're doing together. That's the Paschal mystery and reality that out of death can emerge new life. Because of the resurrection, we know that there will be surprising things right around the corner. And so maybe we shouldn't be so surprised when we experience these unexpected moments of God's grace in our lives. Maybe that's why hearing the scripture say to each of us, I told you so, isn't such a bad thing after all. How we respond to this I told you so moment is for you to decide. My hope and prayer is that we respond to this I told you so moment like the faithful women who went to take a look for themselves and then who ran to tell the others what they had seen and what they had heard. Amen.